Having been an entrepreneur for many, many years, I have been particularly impressed with certain CEOs, chief executive officers of companies. Now, I've always admired, I've been one, I've always admired the small business owner because I know it's not that easy, and I know the incredible amount of different hats you have to wear and all of the different details that you have to be uh, involved in. Uh, but I particularly admire, uh, and there's very few of them, I particularly admire very few uh, CEOs who have absolutely massively huge companies and they approach uh, the, the company and the job very, very differently. Uh, to be fair, so we don't compare, uh, they have incredible staffs uh, that allow them to spend time outside uh, of the office in, in doing what they do, which is what I admire them for. Two such men, I'm just going to only name two, I'm sure there's lots more. Uh, one is Sam, was Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, and the other was Jim Senegal, the former CEO of Costco. Now, I'll tell you this about Senegal, the guy was a beast, and you'll know what I'm talking about in a second, but if you work at a huge company or you ever worked at a huge company, it would be very, very rare that you would meet the CEO, especially if it was a national company or a worldwide company. That would be very, very rare. My father worked for the phone company for 46 years, and he actually had the occasion to meet the CEO of AT&T. The only reason was is that Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier had a fight. They actually had two in Madison Square Garden back in the 70s. And back then, they used to do everything with cable lines, and the phone company owned all of the cable lines, so he would fly in to do these press conferences, and my dad was in charge of that, so he was the technical assistant, so he happened to meet the uh, chairman of AT&T, which is now, uh, that part of it's now known as Verizon. But if you worked at Walmart in the early years, or at Costco even up to 10 years ago, chances are that you met the CEO. I said earlier that Jim Senegal was a beast. That guy would be known to visit some days between 10 and 12 different Costco's meeting people. I remember years ago I was in Costco, probably about 15 years ago, and I had read an article about him, and I said to the woman at the checkout counter, I said, did you ever meet Jim Senegal? Did you ever meet the CEO? She goes, oh, many times. He comes here fairly often. And I'm like, really? She goes, oh, yeah, he just flies in, visits all the Costco's in the, in the surrounding area, and then goes home. Nice guy. Talks, talks to all of us. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor Jim, what in the world does that have to do with Psalm 23? And last week, we said it was one of the most beloved uh, of all the Psalms. It has to do with the God of the universe who is even bigger than a CEO, the God of the universe, personally being with his people, and that all of his people actually meet God, and not only just meet him, but know him personally, and there's even more. Something that no CEO could ever do, and it's the title of our message tonight, is the shepherd who is always with his people. Well, let's go back to the beginning, Psalm 23. We covered verses 1 through 3 last week. It says, a psalm of David. And we saw that, we, that David began with the Lord and telling us that he was his personal protector and provider. Verse 1, very famous verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Then we saw uh, pictures from David of what the Lord, uh, a good shepherd, does. And David, having been a shepherd, knew what a good shepherd did. Things like care and rest and guidance were important for the good of the flock. So he said in verse 2 and 3, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Remember we said that you'd only have to do that if you were at peace. Sheep are very, very skittish. And then those three important words, He leads me. Beside the still waters, verse 3, he restores my soul. Once again, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's 
sake. And tonight's verse goes like this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of your versions say, though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. And in the Hebrew psalm, the dead center of the psalm are these words, for you are with me. So I think that's what the real point of the psalm is. That's the centerpiece, if you will. And then he says, your rod and your staff they comfort me. So like life, human life, David takes us on a journey. He moves us from the refreshing still waters, the, the pasture in which you're lying down and everything is nice and calm and peaceful. Some of you are like, oh, that sounds really good right about now. I guess for a lot of us, we picture ourselves on a, on a beach and not having to go back to work for a couple of weeks or something like that. But he takes us from the still waters to the dangers of life. He takes us from the still waters to a place of danger. And when you're a shepherd, you have to move the flock. You have to exercise them. If they eat the whole field up, you got to move them to another field. There may be no water there anymore. you got to move them to a place where there's more water. And when you would move the flock, you would often, in a mountainous area like they were living in, in a mountainous area, you would often have to pass through a bunch of ravines. And the ravines would lead you down into a valley, sort of like in between the rocks you'd be walking, and it was often very, very dark down there. Now, to get in and out of these ravines, you had to go on these kind of narrow paths on these narrow cliffs. And so you'd be, you know, you're like you're kind of walking along the side if you're driven on a, on a road with a guardrail. And you're like, oh, there's no guardrail. And, and you're like looking down. You're like, whoa, I don't really like this. That's what they would be doing. Again, it could be dark. But there would also be along the pathways and down in the ravines, there would be caves. There would be large rocks. And in those caves and behind those large rocks were often wild animals and often bandits would be lurking. Now, this type of a journey was not only scary, it was also exhausting. It was physically taxing and it was emotionally draining. So that's why I'm just going to call it life. It's just life. You know, sometimes you feel like I'm just, I'm just spent, man. That, that's, that's the way it is. And there are numerous connections that, to me, stand out here. Verse 1, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, he says, I shall not want. But if you combine what we learn in verse 1 with 2 and 3, and now in 4, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I will fear no evil. Yet, there's some actually very odd things here when you think about such stuff. One is, why does David say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Let me just ask you a question. If you were in the valley of the shadow of death, would you walk way back Many years ago, when I uh, went to college, I went to college in New Jersey, and I lived in Long Island, and before New York City was, you know, it used to be really bad, I would take the train into Penn State, into uh, Times Square, and then I'd have to walk down to Penn Station. I guess it was 7th or 8th Avenue, I would have to walk down. And on each side, it was only about an eight-block walk, you would be accosted by drug dealers, uh, prostitutes, pimps muggers, all kinds of stuff. And it would be funny because you could tell who all the college students were, number one. Uh, they'd be going, they'd be have the big bag of laundry that they would have over there, over their shoulder, bringing it home to mom. But we would walk down the center of the street and the, and the cops would just wave at us like, keep going, kid, keep going, kid. I don't want to do the paperwork or something like that. Because, and we didn't walk. We were, we were moving at quite a clip. Yet he says he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. But why walk? Why not run? There seems to be a calm that he has. And what is that calm? For or because, he says to the Lord, you are with me. Now, verse 4 
Although it might seem dark and gloomy to us, it's not as dark and gloomy as we might think. It's actually a lot more personal than verses 1 through 3. In verses 1 through 3, David was telling us about his God. He is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. So he's telling us about his God and what his God does for him. But when he comes uh, here to this verse, he's no longer telling us about God and their relationship. He's actually now, he turns to the shepherd and he speaks to him directly. He's no longer talking about God. He's talking to God, and he says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. See, uh, believe it or not, it seems, and this might seem very strange to us, it seems strange to me, that fear and trouble and danger in the valley actually drives David closer to the Lord and actually brings him, and he's aware of it, maybe after the fact, but he's aware of the fact that it not only drives him closer, but it drives him into a more intimate and deeper and more connected relationship with God. And so the Lord is always with his people. We covered that in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, lo, I am always with you. But when we are walking with the Lord, we really especially sense it and experience it in the valley of the shadow of death, in the darkest valleys of our lives. Why? Well, one is desperation. Also, I think it goes back to uh, what's something that's easily missed, the phrase in verse 2 and verse 3, he leads me. He leads me. Specifically, David said in verse 3, he leads me in the paths, plural, of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me for his name's sake, for his glory and for his honor. Now, this is not going to explain it all to you, and it's not going to explain it all to me, but this actually, to me, as a follower of Jesus, as a Christ follower, explains to me and tells me a lot about suffering. It tells me that sometimes the path of righteousness leads me through a dark valley. You're like... What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Now, yes, that God could actually take his own children and lead them in the path that is a dark valley. You say, could you give me an example of that? Well, look no further than the cross. That's exactly what we see. We see God taking his own beloved son and leading him in the path of righteousness to the death, even the death on a cross. Now, this is one thing we do a lot as followers of Jesus, and I understand why. If you're not a follower of Jesus, thanks for coming tonight. And, and people don't even get this. I mean, a lot of people who are followers of Jesus don't get this. And so we can't explain suffering. We try to, but we can't. Maybe we should try to explain good, and then maybe suffering will make a little bit more sense, but that's another subject for another day. And all, a lot of times, followers of Jesus uh, make excuses for suffering. We're like, well, you know, free will or stuff like that. And people are like, yeah, I ain't buying it. Why, why did God create us in such a world like this? Other people always try to connect suffering to sin. Oh, there must be some secret sin in your life. I'm always like, what secret sin? The whole world knows. I'm a big sinner. Everybody knows. It's not, it's not, it's not a big secret. Or other people will connect suffering to a lack of faith. None of that here. David doesn't say that here. David is very clear that for those who trust and follow the good shepherd, sometimes the Lord's righteous path is going to lead you to a place that is heartbreaking, that is scary, 
that is sorrowful, that is very, very painful. But that's how David can say, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he knows the Lord brought him there. The Lord led him there. Not that the Lord is trying to get him, but that was part of God's plan for his life. And not only did the Lord lead him there, it's not like he just dropped him off and that said, up, up, you're in the valley now. See you later, buddy. Didn't do that to him. He's actually still with him. He says, I know you are still with me. To you, that might seem, what I just said might seem impossible to believe. That, that the dark path that you might be on right now could actually be as much God's will for your life as the green pastures and the still waters. The reality is we love the mountaintop. We love the mountaintop experience. We love the easy life. We love the country club life where life is just simple and you know, you go everywhere you go, you come home from work, dads, and your family's like, you're home, you're home, oh, it's wonderful. That lasted till my kids were about five and they're like, oh, it's you, dad, how you doing, right? And, and you want that life and sit down, honey, and just here's everything for you. And then you wonder, where did that life go? We love the mountaintop, we love the country club life, but the valley is where character is formed. That other life, we're just kind of spoiled. But character is formed in the valley. Not because we pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, but once again, because the Lord's presence in our lives is more easily experienced in the valley. It's more real in the valley because of our desperation. Now, where David is, Dangerous? Yes. Fearful? Yes. But not nearly as dangerous. And he knows this as one of the Lord's sheep. He's putting himself, he's not the shepherd anymore. He's putting himself in the place of the sheep here in the psalm. But it's dangerous, it's fearful, but not nearly as dangerous and fearful as leaving the shepherd. He knows that's really where you're going to get yourself into trouble. And so here David tells us that the experience of the reality of the Lord's presence is what helped him in the midst of fear overcome his fear. Let me say that again. He's learning, he's teaching us that the experience of the reality of the Lord's presence helped him in the midst of fear overcome his fear. And he has come to the reality of the truth that all of us need to come to. Stop buying the gobbledygook preachers on TV that'll tell you if you just have enough faith, everything's gonna go fine. It's not true. It's not true in their life, and it's not gonna be true in any of our lives. The truth of the matter is this. Sometimes the Lord protects us from suffering, and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he protects us from suffering, and sometimes he doesn't. Yet always, whether he does or he doesn't, he's teaching us that he is with us. He is teaching us to trust him. Now listen, how many of you like to avoid suffering? <laughs> we, we all like to avoid suffering. But there's something else I think that we do that, that's really not so good. We, we also like to avoid thinking about suffering. We also like to avoid talking about suffering. And, and I'm not so sure that's a good thing. Why? Because it's super important for us to see, and he says it here, that followers of Jesus walk through the valley. Again, he's saying, I'm not dumping you in the valley, and there you are. No, we walk through the valley. It is a temporary place we walk through with the Lord. So where you are today, remember, this is a temporary place. If, you're, if it's good, enjoy it. 
It's temporary. If you're having a tough time right now, try to figure out what God is teaching you. Try to continue to renew your trust in him and understand that it is temporary. As far as death goes, a follower of Jesus walks with the Lord and it says as if he is holding the Lord's hand through the darkness, temporary, through the darkness and into the light. So what is the end of the path for a follower of Jesus when they die? We know that the end of the path is glory. Why do we know that? Oh, loved ones, never forget this. Never, ever, ever, ever forget this. The death is the way the Lord brings his children home. It might seem like the scariest thing in the world, but that's the way he brings us home. You know, as a pastor over the years, I've actually spent uh, times with really, really dedicated followers of Jesus who are dying. And I'm going to be honest with you, I am often unnerved by the level of peace so many of them seem to experience. Are they sad? Oh, yes. Did they want to have more, see, you know, see their kid get married or their, their first grandchild or a couple other grandchildren or, or other things? Oh, there's a sadness there, yes. But there's a presence that they have. You know, you, I sit there and I go, like, what am I doing here? Like, God, did you bring me here to teach me? I came here to bring them comfort, and they're just blowing me away. With, with the, your presence is so obviously seen in their lives. It says in the scriptures that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And you really get to see that actually happening when you're with someone who is dying. We speak of people being afraid of their own shadow. But it is awe-inspiring when you see someone staring down death. And you see them approaching it with class and with dignity and confidence in their God. It is an incredible faith-building exercise. I get in my car when I'm doing that. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And if you want to know the big thing they all say, they all say, would you please tell my children at my funeral, would you please tell my family where I am? And how to get there. They almost always say that. That's what they want done at their funeral. Now, in addition to death, it seems to me this wording, when he, when he just talks about the, the, the darkness here, it seems to me that this wording can also represent the uncertainties of life. And, and right now, you're, if you're listening live, we're in this coronavirus pandemic, if you're listening to this recording years down the road, there's some other trouble that, that, that is upon us. And right now, this pandemic has brought us up close and personal to the valley of the shadow of death and, and a period of extreme uncertainty. Now, some of you are watching, we know people are watching all over the United States and all over various places of the world. And and it may be different where you live than where we live, but in the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area, it has been devastating. There has been such great loss experienced by most of us. The, the loss of life is real. And, and the inability for people to grieve has been so sad. You know, the stories of like, well, we got to talk to them on the phone, or, you know, maybe we just saw them being wheeled into the ambulance and we were a distance away, and that was the last we got. Remember I said, you know, last week that I was with my dad and I sang this psalm to him when he died in my arms, and, and that was the, one of the greatest moments of my life. It's one of the saddest, but one of the greatest. But for so many people, 
they, they, don't, they don't have that. Even for people who passed away with other sicknesses or old age, they were not allowed to be with them in the hospital. And for so many people, there's no closure. It's just like they're just gone. They're gone. And, and compounded by the sadness of what's going on in society. And it's just, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. It, it seemed for me for a while that for like every day or every other day, somebody I knew was losing a loved one. It was just constant. I felt like for a couple weeks there, all I was doing was writing condolences cards. It was so very, very sad. Now, in no way do I want to minimize the toll that takes on people. I'm going to tell you, it was taking a toll on me. It was taking a real toll on me. But there's a lot of other losses too. And I think that, that we need to really Bring them out into the open. And let's stop with the hyper-spiritual stuff, pretending like it doesn't matter, because it does matter. There's a lot of other real losses to people. In addition to people not being able to have funerals, some of you guys, you graduated this year. You were looking forward to that. You graduated from, from middle school or from high school or from college. And you were looking for the, forward to the celebration with your friends and congratulating everyone. You'd been at graduations before, but now you imagined your own and you didn't even get to have one. This may seem silly to older people, but there's people, kids, who are looking forward to going to a prom. They were looking forward to the, to the school play. They were looking forward to the, to the spring sports season. So many people had to cancel their weddings. They had all these plans for weddings that 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 cancel act various activities. People were planning to have parties and 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 celebrations. They're like, oh yeah, we'll do this at the end of the, when the weather gets warmer. Maybe you had great travel plans. You're just like, I just need a break, and now you just can't catch a break, or your vacation plans have been have been canceled. We can't even gather together as a church. We're still together, but we're not together. You know, a lot of times I, I say to people, like, come close. Let me give you a big hug. Well, let me give you one now. And people write these emails like, hey, thanks for the hug, Pastor Jim. And we hang out in our church, and we have coffee, and we get to hang out with each other. We lay hands on people and pray for people. And, and people just it's, just, it's just wonderful. The death of, of so many things that you were looking forward to. And now, it just seems like it's gone. For others, it was the joy of having a baby. You wanted that little baby so much. And then you have it in the middle of COVID-19. And nobody's even allowed to come visit you in the hospital. And you're not even, you're a dad. you, You went to birthing classes. And everything you learned in birthing classes, you can't do any of it. And so many other joys that we are used to enjoying have been dampened by this pandemic. And a huge one is huge, huge. So many of you have lost your job or you still have a job, but the business is just tanking and you know it's tanking. You see the orders coming in. You you know that things are not well. And you're wondering, what does the future hold? And that leads you to a period of great uncertainty about the future and about our economy and about our worldwide economy. It's, It's just like a different type of death, so many of these things. What will church be like? What will school be like? What will family be like? What will friendships be like in a world where so many people now feel so unsafe? Now, true, I know this has been the way of life for many people all the time. A lot of people live under this type of difficulty their whole lives. Other parts of the world where people are not free like we are, 
and they've had these difficult, difficult experiences, and they live in constant fear. But now, that type of uncertainty is being experienced worldwide. I have spoken to many people, and for they, what they told me, for years gone by, I've known a lot of the people of this church for a long time, and some of my dearest friends, and this is what they would tell me. I hate the rat race. I hate my routine. And now they're dying for their routine to come back. Now they want it to come back. Now we're talking about a new normal, and people going, I don't want a new normal. Give me the old dysfunction back. It was messed up, but, but it's better than this. Have you seen the TV commercial for Audible where, you know, that's where you, you listen to a book instead of reading it, and, and they show this woman, and she, she kisses her husband goodbye, and she's like, I gotta go, and she gets on the, on the bus and on the train, and she's going everywhere, and she's commuting, and then all of a sudden she comes home, and you think it's the end of her workday, and her husband says, why do you do that? You work from home because she just wanted to get out of the house. She just wanted to, to, to grow and to, and to learn. And so it's, you know, it's a funny little thing, uh, funny little commercial. But it's interesting. I've talked to some of you who are now working from home, and you're like, I don't miss the commute, but somehow I'm more exhausted now than I was with the compute, with the commute. But that's natural because that's what anxiety and uncertainty does to us. It absolutely wipes us out. So again, it's clear in the Christian life that, that God does not present, He does not prevent every difficult experience. But, but, Jesus is with us in every difficult experience. He doesn't prevent them all, but he promises to be with us in them all. And when you know that, and when you pray about your issues, and you know he is with you, that is the city of refuge. That is the place of safety. That is the place where fear begins to dissipate. Because you know that you are not alone. That's how David can say, I will fear no evil. Notice he doesn't say there will be no evil. That's the wishes of people who know nothing about life and know nothing about God. And to be honest with you, David also knows this. There's far more evil in our heads than that is real. Now that may be hard to hear, but constantly thinking the worst will affect every area of your life. And that's why you have to go to the city of refuge. That's why you have to go to the place of safety. Because if you let your mind run with all of the thoughts, you're going to be in a very, very bad place. And so here David is teaching us that the Lord is safe in the real dangers in the valley. And if you're there, David wants you to know. And when the Bible speaks, God speaks. God wants you to know that he is with you there and he can be trusted there. As we said last week, David was a man who constantly went through the valley. He experienced multiple occasions of great heartache. Did you notice something about this? All the different heartaches that David went through, and a lot of times in the Psalms, he doesn't really tell us what's going on. You know why, to me? It doesn't seem like he compares one situation to another. Each time of trial, each time of difficulty, each time of danger, each time of heartache was unique to him, and was real to him. You see, what happens is often we stuff our valleys. We often stuff them down. We stuff our grief. We stuff our disappointment. But what do we do? We do it by comparing it and comparing ourselves to others. That is not good. 
when you compare yourself to others, it's not going to usually end up good for you. Because this is what happens. You're in a difficulty. It's real. I mean, it's not in your head. It's real. And, and you start to think, or your well-meaning friend comes to you and says this to you, well, others have it worse than you. Or you start to say, well, others have it worse than me. Now, should we look for things to be thankful for? Absolutely yes. But should we minimize our losses? No. We should not do that. Because minimizing our losses is spiritually, mentally, and physically unhealthy. And it's easy to wander when you do that. Because you look for other outlets. When you have real pain, when you have real sorrow in your life, when I do too, we are going to look for outlets. And sometimes we look for very, very unhealthy outlets. Because we sort of don't want to talk about it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to bring it to God and just lay it out and say, this is where I'm at. And I hope you're learning that from our Sunday series in Habakkuk, that God is totally fine with you laying it out, down and dirty, this is how I feel, this is what's going on in my heart, God. And so when we stuff it, we also forget this. We, we forget, and this is so easy for us to forget, when we're not dealing with the reality of the valley of the shadow of death or the difficult things in our lives, it's easy to forget that you are needed for the Lord's new opportunities in the valley. Friend, do you know right now that there is someone or a group of people that are waiting for you in this valley. They are waiting for you to, to pick up the phone, to send them a text, to send them an email, to drop them a card. They're waiting for you to be used by God to let them know that God actually cares. I can't believe how many emails or texts I send to people. This is a funny thing. I'm not laughing at you. If it's you, I'm not. This has happened, I can't tell you how many times. And they said, you know, it's funny you're contacting me now. I was just freaking out. <laughs> I was just falling to pieces. And then they'll send me, a, you know, contact me a few days later and say, I'm doing better now. Sorry, you caught me at a bad moment. And I'm just laughing because I'm going, yep, Lord, that's why you laid them on my heart. There's somebody waiting for you. I don't know who they are. You know who they are. Reach out to them. Get out of, of, of your own denial. It's okay to tell them what's going on in your life. Here in verse 4, David says, For you are with me, and then he adds this, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, that doesn't sound very comforting, does it? Your, your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me? I mean, if you've seen pictures of shepherds, they're like whacking the sheep, and you're thinking, like, that's not so good. So I want to make a confession to you. I actually brought a prop today. Um, a lot of times when people visit the, the church, if they fill out a connection card, I'll mail them a card thanking them for visiting. And this is one of the boxes that I've, I had for a while and actually not one of the boxes, I bought a whole bunch of them, and it has four different cards in it. And the first one says, the cover says, with God, all things are possible. Like, who wouldn't love to get that card, man? I'm like, yeah, I would love to get this card. Another card says, the Lord, and it's quoting scripture, that's Matthew 19, 26. Another card says, the Lord will bless his people with peace. I would love to get that card. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh, I met that person. You know, they, were, they really you know, seem to have some trouble going on in their life. Now, that, that would really bless them. Um, another one, you, maybe I meet someone who who's, does seem like they didn't have a lot of hope. And I met them at the door, and I remember. And I'll say, hey, did you fill out a card yet? Yeah. And I go, okay. And I remember the person. I remember their story. And another card, the third card says, the God of hope fill you with, will fill you with all joy and peace. 
And I'm like, oh, I would love to get that card if I was in that place. And there's a fourth card. And it says, thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. (laughs) Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I never send that card out, and I got boxes of them. (laughs) I got boxes of them. But after we're done here in a few minutes, I'm going to start sending these cards out to people that I know. So if you get one, don't be like, oh, he sent me his used cards. He doesn't want to send to somebody else. No, 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 because I want you to really understand the beauty behind that and what the comfort is. You see, the reason we don't really understand what this means is because it, part of it is, is cultural in the sense of we don't understand the duties of a shepherd, but the other one is really our sheep nature. The, the point is this, that God's constant presence and involvement in our lives brings comfort. That's the point of what he's saying there with the rod and the staff, that God's constant presence and involvement in our lives brings comfort. Remember, we said that the valley could be dark, that the valley could be dangerous. Do you know what the rod was for? The rod was meant to fight off the predators. The rod was meant to fight off the wild animals, to fight off the bandits. And so it is the rod of protection. So if you knew that God had his rod of protection out when you felt like you were in danger, would that comfort you? Well, of course it would. Of course it would. You say, what about the staff? Well, the staff is interesting. The staff was used in in one part to, to keep the wandering sheep on the path. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you want to be on the path of righteousness, don't you? I'm sure the answer to that question is yes. Do you ever tend to wander a little? We all do. So wouldn't you rather a little staff nudge than to get the rod? Wouldn't you be thankful for the Lord saying to you, come on, let's get back, let's get back, let, let's keep going. You know how it is if you've got kids. You're trying to, it's like herding cats sometimes. And you're just like, come on, let's move, let's move. And see, when, when the Lord uses his staff to, to keep you on the path, what is he also doing He's keeping you close to himself. You're not wandering away. What might seem to you like, oh, he's punishing me, and he might be disciplining you in in some way, it's actually he's just loving you. He's bringing you back because he doesn't want you to wander away. So the Lord is with us. He is guarding us. He is guiding us. And the rod and the staff are actually meant to provide us with great encouragement in the dark valleys of life. In other words, because of the Lord's presence and protective care, you and I can walk through the darkness of life. Can I say that again? Because of the rod, because of the staff, protecting us and guiding us, and in the shepherd being with us, you and I can walk through the darkness of this life. And once again, reflecting on this can really help us with calming our fear and our anxiety by constantly reminding ourselves that the Lord is close. Perhaps even praying something like this, Lord, I know you are close to me, but I am praying for a real, tangible experience of your presence. And I find that sometimes just private prayer does that. Just saying, Lord, I really want to sense your presence, and you get the sense that you are not alone. Well, we already said that there's a switch from verses 1 to 3 into verse 4 that goes from he leads me to you are with me. 
So what is he saying? That he's saying, I know, Lord, that you are in the valley, but, but before you were leading me, now you're with me. Before I was following you, maybe at a distance, but now I'm getting closer and closer, or you're coming back to me, and you are alongside the sheep. David is teaching us that whether in the pasture or by the stream or in the valley, the Lord is always our security, and the Lord is always with us. And Interestingly enough, when we think about death, David also teaches us, though we may try to help people in their last moments, and that's good, only Jesus can take them by the hand. Think about this. Only Jesus can be with someone in the tomb. And only Jesus can say, I know the way out. I know how to get out of this thing. Come with me. Our world, we're left with, oh, they're in a better place. All kinds of stuff. I know they're looking down. I know they're watching this. Only Jesus knows how to step in to the next life. And so here's the question for you, my non-Christian friend. Are you willing to let him take you there? Are you willing to let Jesus bring you home? In Acts chapter 9, the risen Christ uh, met a fellow by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He hated Christians, couldn't stand them, arrested them, took them back, wanted them executed. And he was... Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus to arrest people who were followers of Jesus. It was against the law in the land. And, and so he met the risen Christ. And Jesus said this to him, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's a statement. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. You're like, now what in the world is a goad? You ever hear of goading somebody on that expression? Well, a goad was a long stick, very pointed, and what the farmers would do is they wouldn't want to get too close to the, to the ox. Is they, would, they would hit the ox to get him to walk in the right direction with the goad, with the pointy stick. It's like Jesus maybe is saying to someone tonight, or whenever you're listening to this, I keep coming to you. I keep coming by the stream. I keep coming in the pasture. I keep coming in the valley. I keep coming to get you to trust me. I keep coming to lead you. I keep coming to be with you. Aren't you getting tired of fighting me? Isn't it wearing you out? I know that was part of my becoming a Christian. I was worn out from fighting God. I was in a battle, in a fight, that I knew that I couldn't win. And here, David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Remember we said the rod was, was to fight off enemies. And the rod is like the cross. And on the cross, Jesus fought off the greatest enemy, death, caused by sin. And the staff, interesting, we, we talked about the staff kind of keeping the sheep in line. But the, shaft, all, the, the, the staff also had a, what they call a crook, sort of the J part of it. What was that used for? Well, remember, they're on these, they're on these steep kind of ravines and they're the cliffs. And maybe a sheep would fall off and down to the next level. And what the, what the shepherd would do is he would reach down with that J and he would pull them up. Or maybe they fell into a ditch and the shepherd would reach down with that J, that crook, and pull the sheep up. Now, my friends, Jesus has died on the cross and if you are not a follower of Jesus, he has died on the cross in your place for your sins and he's risen from the dead and now, he wants to put you in the crook of his staff. 
Now he wants to rescue you. And the only thing you need to do is you need to respond. You just simply just need to say, I want that. I want that. I want the forgiveness of all my sins. I want eternal life. I want Jesus to take me out of the tomb. I want him to reach down. And that's how God saves people, is he reached down to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he pulls us up, and he rescues us. All you need to do, Jesus said, is you need to repent and believe. That's the only response you need to do. You need to repent. You need to turn from being a sheep going your own way. The scripture says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And you need to turn around and come to God. Be willing to give up the things that are taking you down the wrong path and come back along the path of righteousness to God. And you need to believe. You need to put your trust in Jesus that he is the good shepherd that can save you from all of the dangers that we have talked about tonight. If you are a follower of Jesus, the staff of correction guarantees you that if you obey the Lord, that even when you are suffering, you are on God's path. So let him correct you. Let him guide you. As we often say around here, the conviction of sin is not to make you just feel like, oh, I feel like such a piece of garbage. No, the conviction of sin is God's invitation to intimacy with him. He wants you to come closer to him. And so here's what we want to do. We don't want to wander away from the shepherd. We want to run to the shepherd. And when we run to the shepherd, we will find the Savior who saves us from our past sins, but doesn't leave us to face our present sins by ourselves, and doesn't leave us alone in the troubles of our life because he is always with us. We are never alone. In fact, next week, we will hear more about the Lord's care and how we can rest in his promises from this day forth all the way through eternity. And in verse 5 and 6, we come to what I personally think are the most beautiful words of the psalm and actually some of the most beautiful words ever written in the history of mankind. And I hope you'll join us again. Well, let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you.